The Annex is a production of the Queen's Podcast Lab. For more, visit queenspodcastlab.org. This is the Annex, a sociology podcast. I'm Joseph Cohen from Queen's College in the City University of New York. Today, we're going to release the first of a two-part series on the sociology of cults. This episode features Rick Moore from Washington University at St. Louis. Stay tuned tomorrow when we will talk to Craig Rawlings of Duke University in the second segment. We're talking the sociology of cults coming up. So here's the backstory of this two-part series on cults. Back in December, uh, we were in the throes of the COVID crisis and we were all homebound. And this was a period in which a lot of us were consuming streaming television. And I decided to purchase a subscription to HBO Max. And on it, I caught this documentary on the Heaven's Gate cult. The Heaven's Gate cult is a story that many of us who lived through the 1990s remember. Back in the late 1990s, I think it was 1996, there was a cult that engaged in a mass suicide. They were premised on the belief that they were all going to kill themselves and somehow be beamed up to a an alien spaceship that was traveling behind a comet that was passing the Earth uh, to a lot of fanfare at the time. The Heaven's Gate cult was disturbing in its own right, you know, kind of like the uh, Jonestown suicides or any type of gruesome uh, event. But what was unique was that it was happening in the Internet age. And this particular group that committed mass suicide had an Internet presence. And it was the first time, I think, that regular people could hear about a disastrous cult suicide in the news and then be able to go and look up the group and read their literature because the group had a website. In fact, it still maintains a website to this day. The story was probably very much, you know, a salacious, true crime or gruesome story that a lot of us remember from the late 1990s. And it brought me back uh, to that story. So this was around New Year's that I was watching this documentary. And a few days later, the Congress was assembling to certify the results of the 2020 election that had Joe Biden winning. And these people invaded the Capitol in an attempt to uh, stop the certification of the vote. And as you listen to these stories of these Capitol invaders, you found a lot of them were soaked into this Q conspiracy. And it was hard to not see the parallels. I was deeply moved by this story of the cult. And then I'm seeing what, what an effect is another cult, right? It's a a group that is assembling and engaging in antisocial or self-harming behavior based on a, con a conspiracy theory or maybe a far-fetched, obviously false and fantastic theory about how the world works. And it really got me thinking, uh, what's going on with these people? How can you, how can a group form that just seems to take over people's minds and lead them to do harmful things for reasons that you would expect any rational adult to be like, no, that's a ridiculous reason. You're not, if you kill yourself, you're not going to hitch a ride 
with aliens traveling behind a comet. And no, probably Joe Biden isn't the head of a satanic cult and Donald Trump isn't going to stop them from eating babies with George Soros. Like these are insane ideas. Where do they come from? Well, luckily, I'm a sociologist and I have this show and I thought, you know what? This is the perfect vehicle for asking these types of questions and sating my curiosity. So I put out a call on Twitter asking about the sociology of cults and had a, an interesting exchange with was Rick Moore. Now, Rick is a sociologist of religion and uh, he was able to explain to me how the field of sociology sees cults. And Rick sat down with me and he sort of educated me on the basics of the social religion and I learned a lot and that's what we're going to be discussing uh, in this episode. And uh, eventually, with Rick's help, we sort of sharpened the research question and found the perfect expert to get right to this question. And uh, that guest... Craig Rawlings will be featured in tomorrow's episode. So here's the first discussion. Rick Moore from Washington University of St. Louis. Cults, episode one of two. We are here with Rick Moore from Washington University in St. Louis. Rick is a sociologist of religion. Thanks for joining us, Rick. Thank you for having me. Let me start off. When I started doing my research on the sociology of cults, I found that there wasn't much literature and that, and that kind of boggled my mind. So I thought, well, there must be tons of sociologists who are studying cults, but I can't find anything. Why can't I find recent sociological research on cults? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think people think about that all the time. So a couple of years ago, I was at Cornell University and I was teaching an undergraduate class uh, in the sociology of religion. And the last week of the class was an opportunity for students to kind of, you know, they got to pick what we want to study. And I didn't include anything on what would be called cults in the course. And so we get to the end of the course and people are like, I want to study cults. Like it was unanimous, right? Yeah. And so I think there's this kind of assumption that this is something that sociologists and sociologists of religion and maybe religious studies scholars have spent a lot of time on. But it turns out that cult, especially in the vernacular, is a very loaded term, right? Yeah. So, like, you don't generally call something a cult and mean that in a positive way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it turns out that while sociology has used the term cult within its history, that use of it maybe wasn't the most productive. So it goes back all the way to the sociological like greats of, you know, Max Weber and some others who then kind of were trying to uh, develop typologies for religious organizations. Mm -hmm. So they kind of Weber and his successors kind of what developed was an idea of a church sect cult typology, which is basically churches are established religious bodies. So think the Catholic Church, think uh, maybe brands of Islam or in Muslim countries. Cults would be on the opposite end of the spectrum of being more in tension with society, right? So it's like, mm. like they're religious groups, but you know they're not the ones in charge. They're not the ones that go with all of the norms. And sects someplace uh, roughly in between. So they're startups, basically, religious startups, kind of. Great way to put it. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Religious startups. <laughs> I think over time, 
sociologists started to realize that for the most part, this kind of differentiation, this analytical differentiation wasn't necessarily the most useful. And it wasn't necessarily helping us to understand religious life all that much. Not to mention this church sect cult typology is also very Christian centric, right? So in this, a church is any religious body that is kind of established in society, whether it is a Christian church, whether it is um, Islam, whether it is, you know, Hindu, etc. So that also its history is very much bound up in kind of uh, the history of Christianity and the scholars that were, were studying it. I'd say that's part of it. Why you don't find a lot is because this the, the analytical part of it isn't quite as useful. Yeah. So just to sort of review so what you're saying is. There is sort of an older sociology of cults, but when we see cults mentioned, what they're thinking about in particular that distinguishes a cult is like how mainstream and well-established it is. And so at the beginning of, or in early social religions, when people were talking about cults, they meant sort of any new religion. could be a very mainstream sort of new form of Christianity that most people would find, you know, not remarkable, or it could be an extreme cult, what we typically think of when we have cults. That's the old way of thinking, is that is what you're telling me. I would say it's not just the newness, but it's kind of the tension with the existing religious authorities, right? Okay. So just if there was like a new kind of Christian church, that wouldn't necessarily be a cult. But if there's a new kind of church an example would be the history of the the latter-day saints the mormons right in the 19th century blending elements of traditional christianity with additional beliefs and practices that were rejected quite violently often Hmm. by established religious authorities and people um that would kind of be more this kind of older definitions of a cult okay and you see over time how the Church of Latter-day Saints, the LDS Church, as it's known, kind of transitioned from being in high tension with society to over time, less and less tension with society. And you might say that today it is a church in this church sect cult sense. Okay. And how did it evolve? So that's not how we use it now, is what you're saying. Well, I would say that there's a difference between the analytical term that was used by scholars of religion and sociologists of religion and the way cult is used in general general discourse, right? Right. And that gets back to it being very much a negative term. So especially in the 60s and 70s, when um, relaxed immigration laws brought a lot of religious diversity to the United States and lots of new religious movements, these new religions started popping up in the United States. There was kind of an anti-cult backlash. I even remember, you know, growing up as a little kid in the 80s, don't don't join a cult. I remember that too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Your mom's like, be careful. You're going to be brainwashed. And so that kind of, it became kind of a, a label of a bad religious group. Okay. Because of that, I believe, people who study these kinds of newer groups have adapted the term new religious movement um, instead of talking about cults, because the cult term is just so value-laden that it kind of has lost its usefulness. And a lot of what people who study these kinds of uh, movements and organizations find is that they are new or newer than, say, established religious bodies. So the new term is 
new religious movements. Yes. And and it's sort of to step away from sort of the fraught value judgments and reactions that are associated with the word cults. Can I ask a question? Because this is something that many of our listeners who aren't sociologists themselves might not appreciate. Yeah. Why are sociologists always interested in sort of value neutrality? Like, why do they care about things like value neutrality when they're talking about subjects like that? You know, you often hear people say, well, this is all moral relativism and et cetera. You know, the common complaints. Maybe to, for our listeners, can you explain what, what, why do sociologists care about that stuff? Yeah, I think it's a great question, right? Well, first of all, I would say I don't know that, that my perspective of the sociologist is that we can never entirely escape these kinds of values, right? Mm -hmm. That said, um, sociology, especially starting as trying to kind of be a science of society, trying to kind of understand what makes society work and society tick, has come to recognize that often different people have vastly different perspectives on what is right for a society, right? Or right for a country, right for a culture, et cetera. And for us, we're trying to understand what kind of makes things tick, right? And that doesn't necessarily mean a sociologist is value neutral themselves. You know, a sociologist who focuses on studying race, they're not going to be like, well, racism, I think, I don't know, right? Like, I'm on the fence. They're going to probably, you know, I almost guarantee they're going to be very anti-racism. There might even their scholarship might be driven by that. At the same time, their scholarship is is going to be looking at race as kind of a construct that, from an analytical perspective, is less value laden than perhaps what like a normal person walking down the street would say. Yeah, I always think of it as like it's like a form of mental self discipline. You know, just like I'm not going to pour my money into GameStop because I know that's not good investing. You know, there's a discipline of thought that tells us, you know what, if you want to sort of do your best to be objective, you might not be able to do it fully. But if you want to do your best, try to get away from the the labels that inflame the emotions, because that's sort of a pitfall that the, the conversation can fall into. Yeah, I would say that's, you know, kind of coming back to religion, too. I mean, religion often people associate it with values, right? And often the most the most important values, you know, there's a theologian that once kind of defined religion as the area of ultimate concern, you know, the kind of things that really matter. And often, especially in religion, looking at beliefs or practices or identities, they're sometimes mutually exclusive. I would say it's more useful to understand the religious landscape without kind of, assuming that particular truth claims from different religions are true, even if you may personally, one may personally say, you know, I'm a Christian, I'm an atheist, whatever. Um, we can learn more about religion's role in society by kind of trying to set that aside yeah. um, as much as we can. Like you can say as a person, I think murder is wrong, but in my professional capacity, I can only tell you how many people believe murder is wrong. Like I can't adjudicate values professionally in my profession. Or you could, I mean, your goal, probably if you were someone who was studying murder or criminology, you probably say your goal is to reduce murder, right. but <laughs> it's like blurry, right? Right. But there is something that, especially, you know, thinking of something about what people call, quote, cults. It's almost overwhelmingly negative. And sometimes if you take, if you look at these 
religions or organizations, there's not necessarily a lot of difference between things that we don't call cults, right? Mm -hmm. The main difference is, is that some people call them cults. Yeah. So what, what can you tell me? You're a sociologist of religion. Like in general, like what's the, what's the understanding of cults? Like what can, what can we, what can the sociology of religion sort of, what, what can any sociologist of religion sort of tell us about cults? Yeah, I mean, the first thing I would say is that we were back in one of my one of my courses is that the first thing it tells about cults is that cults is a label, right? <laughs> it's really about the label that people are placing on a, another group of people. Right. So if we're curious about new religious movements, that is the things that, that people often colloquially call cults, <laughs> I would say that the things to keep in mind, and one thing is often there is this newness, right? <laughs> so while even things like Scientology which, you know, kind of came about and started kind of more in the 50s, isn't new as in last year. There's a newness in comparison to religions that trace their history over, you know, thousands of years, for example. And that newness can, can have consequences, right? Sometimes that newness means that there is kind of a charismatic type leader, <laughs> someone who kind of draws people in. And then that newness can become a challenge when, if the movement survives long enough, that leader eventually, as we all do, passes on. And then how does that, as an organization, continue once its original leadership is no longer there? Mm -hmm. So I would say that those are the kind of the main things that we have to, to think about these new religious movements are um, that they may be new, that they may have charismatic leadership, but most of all is that they have this label that people put on them. So this is interesting because what I'm gathering from you is that when I'm expressing an interest in cults, I might not be interested in new religious movements per se, but rather some mechanism that occurs in new religious, some new religious movements and other types of organizations. Like you're telling me that, or what I'm gathering from you is, uh, you know, there are lots of new religious movements that might not pique my interest the way, you know, Heaven's Gate does or some insane you know, sub-community in the sense that I'm not really interested in the organization around a religion, but I'm probably looking at the mechanisms by which people, you know, become convinced to do things or become sort of incorporate odd or extreme beliefs. And that if I'm looking at the study of religion per se, I'm, I might be misfocused. And what I should be doing is is taking a look at like the mechanisms that occur there that are developing the outcomes that I'm interested in. Does that make sense? Yeah. I might ask you, why are you interested in Heaven's Gate and not the Amish? Right. See, that that's interesting. What's really interesting about cults is to see, to me, about cults is to see a community of people develop these types of non-mainstream or extreme beliefs that could even work against their well-being, that can even serve to harm them, but for some reason, and they can adopt beliefs that you would look from the outside as a regular member of society and say, wow, how could you get that far along? It's so far out of the mainstream. So it's probably belief formation that interests me, like the sort of non-mainstream belief formation, or even sort of like the 
the harmful that was like the Durkheimian stuff, right? Like the, the altruistic suicide and right. and that type of stuff. I would say that that you, a person would have to be careful just associating belief in religion. Mm. While often beliefs are a very important part of religion, I mean, first of all, trying to say what religion is is itself a you know a rabbit hole and whatever. Right. Generally speaking, I mean, religion often involves beliefs, what you think. It often involves practices, what you do, mm. and it often involves identities, who you say you are, right? Yeah. And these things don't necessarily even have to line up in ways that we would call logical or expected. So I would say, too, that part of maybe maybe what you're interested in is not just beliefs, but people are, are members of a social group, mm. right? It is also it becomes an I would say it becomes an identity that 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 is who they are. And that that, regardless of beliefs, often plays it plays a large role in perhaps why people might become members of groups that then, like you say, encourage them to do things or act certain ways or believe certain ways that we might perceive as against their self-interest. You've been listening to the Annex, a sociology podcast. Thank you to Rick Moore from Washington University, St. Louis. This was the first of a two-part series on the sociology of cults. Join us tomorrow when we talk to Craig Rawlings of Duke University about belief system formation. We're on the web, theannexpodcast.com, on Twitter, at Socianix, and on Facebook, The Annex Sociology Podcast. Our production team is headed by Lisette Moreno. Music is by Lena Orsa. The Annex is a production of the Queen's Podcast Lab. For more, visit queenspodcastlab.org. I'm Joe Cohen. Thanks for listening.